بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد Alhamdulillah, in tonight's recitation, as we would have heard, it was a continuation of many of the stories of the Anbiya alayhim salatu wassalam that were sent to various nations. Yesterday, it started from the nation of Ad and Thamud and uh, the nation of Sayyidina Lut alayhi salam. And it continued on to, in tonight's recitation, where the discussion of Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam and how he made effort on his nation. But prior to that, <clears throat> Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala informs us of the event of the incident between Sayyidina Adam alayhi salam and Iblis, Shaytan. Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala instructed Iblis to make sujood to uh, Adam alayhi salam with the malaika, and he refused to. And the reason for his refusal was the fact that he regarded his intelligence and intellect to be more important and to be given preference over the instruction from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned this incident in various places in the Quran. And it's not merely for purposes of storytelling. It has been mentioned at great length. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asked Iblis Shaytan when you were instructed to prostrate, why did you not? He said, Ana minhu, I am better than him. So logically, if I am better than him, created from fire, which is more powerful, it rises. It is better than that creation which disintegrates and is reduced to dust and falls down. That was his logic. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then thereafter expelled him. The story continues. And Sayyidina Adam alayhi salam was in Jannah and shaitan comes الشيطان, he whispered and he told him that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has prohibited you from partaking of a particular tree. And the reason is that if you do eat from that tree, you will either become from the malaika or you would become from those who live perpetually in Jannah and you will never leave Jannah. So Adam alayhi salam, then it was his mishap and his mistake that he consumed and ate from that tree due to which we know the result was that he was sent to this dunya. This is the approach of shaitan with insan till qiyamah. It will happen in that way. And if we, if we look in the current situation of, of humanity, perhaps in the 16th or 17th century, there was a concept called the age of enlightenment. Marhalatul tanwiriya it's called in Arabic. Where... People felt that there's no real need for religion or to base any type of lifestyle on religious practices and teachings. Whatever I find to be making sense to me, that would be sufficient for me. And that led into the next generation of what they call modernity, where people felt that the modern successful way of life would be to detach yourself from any religious affiliation. And they did this to Christianity. They made objections to various texts in Christianity, various practices based on intellect, and because in reality Christianity did have the weaknesses in the text which we are aware of, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, the tempering of the text or the adjusting of the wording and the teachings of the text. So obviously they were successful in, in the attack against that particular scripture, 
and those scholars were unable to defend the scriptures against the attack of the intellectual minds of Europe at that time. And then it continues into the, the, the time in which we find ourselves, which they call the era of postmodernism, where the intellect has been given such carte blanche, as you would say, free reign, that even if something which goes against biology or something which goes against common, against common sense would be accepted and acknowledged to be a norm. So if a man decides today that I want to be a woman, what they call a transgender, then we, we, we have to accept him as a woman. And this is the result of the same ingredient that shaitan tried with insan from the very inception. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala instructed him, make sujood, he said, Ana khairun minhu. my intellect is telling me something else. So if your intellect tells you that you are a chicken today, then people need to respect you as a chicken and perhaps form a pronoun for suitable for a chicken or if you feel yourself to be a buffalo. If a person says that I'm a woman, if a man says I'm a woman, which biologically does not make sense, then uh, it's not possible because he doesn't know what it is to be a woman for him to call himself a woman. It's like a man who says he's a chicken. It's impossible because it's a different creation altogether. He hasn't been a chicken for him to know what a chicken feels like. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us intellect. And the deen of Islam, the sharia that Allah has given us, it coincides and corresponds with our intellect. But our in, to accept the sharia, it is not based on our intellect understanding everything. There are certain limits to which our minds can reach. And certain minds can go beyond that. Sayyidina Ali radiallahu anh said that if our entire deen was based on a person understanding each and everything logically and rationally, then when he makes wudu wearing the leather socks, it would have been more suitable and appropriate to make masa and wipe the bottom part of the, of the moza rather than the top part. Whereas in Sharia we told to do the top. Similarly, if a person performs wudu, he does the rituals, he makes his intention, he washes his face, his arms, makes masah and wipes his, he his head, washes his feet. But his wudu breaks by releasing some flatulence, some gas leaves his body. Sharia says you have to repeat the entire wudu. Whereas you would think that, okay, there where the, where the puncture is, that's where you patch. There where the wudu broke, perhaps you should just rinse that part. But Sharia says there's no need for istinja. Just perform wudu. Because we are taught the difference between Adam and Shaitan is this. That Shaitan was told to make sujood, he refused. Adam salam, after he was told that you, you, you made a mistake by eating from that which you are not supposed to eat, and he said, Rabbana zalamna anfusana. Oh Allah, we have oppressed ourselves, we did the wrong thing. Oh Allah, we, we, we made a mistake. And Shaitan, he said, no, I'm better than him. Why are you telling me to make sujood to him? So this is something which will continue. Shaitan was not only for the time of Adam salam, or the time of the nations of Ad and Thamud and the nation of Sayyidina Lut salam. In fact, he will be and his army will be with us till the end of time. Therefore, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَإِمَّا one of the verses recited tonight, When you get those pokes in your heart from shaitan, when those doubts or those misconceptions or bad thoughts, whether it be with regards to the deen of Islam, with regards to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or anything of a fellow Muslim brother or sister, then seek protection from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to protect you against shaitan. Why? Because shaitan is an invisible enemy. If you have a visible opponent in front of you, the youngsters will understand what I'm saying about if, you, if you're in a bout with somebody and uh, 
you are taking a defensive stance, you can see more or less what the approach of your opponent is going to be, how he's going to attack. Well, whether you do it in time, that's a different thing. But you have an idea more or less because you can see the strategy and the style of fighting of your opponent. But when you have an invisible enemy, then you need to seek protection from the being who is invisible to the enemy as well, who is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is why we seek protection from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in all our affairs with regards to our iman, with regards to our deen, with regards to our dunya. So these are some of the things that uh, uh, came in the recitation previously. And another verse which was recited also, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلِلَّهِ الْأَسْمَاءُ الْحُسْنَى فَدْعُوهُ بِهَا for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there are many, many beautiful names. We know them as the Asma'ul Husna. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa says in a hadith that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has 99 names. Man ahsaha dakhal al-jannah. That person who learns those 99 names will enter into Jannah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us tawfiq to learn those 99 names. But the 99 names are not restrictive. Because besides the books of, of the, the six famous compilations of hadith, Sahih, Bukhari, and Muslim, etc., the other compilations of hadith have also got 99 names, but with the inclusion of some other names which are not men mentioned in, uh, in Sahih al-Bukhari or Muslim in the famous books of hadith. So the ulama say there are more than 99 names, but this is for a person to receive the virtue of memorizing the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He's been told at least 99 names, that person who learns the 99 names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will enter into Jannah. And we call unto Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through his names. And therefore, the names of Allah are specific. Whatever we hear from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, or we hear in the Qur'an, that is the word we can use for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Commonly, we hear sometimes, accidentally, perhaps, or due to ignorance, we use certain words, or some people use certain words for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which are inappropriate. They say the man upstairs, and we might have heard this. Those type of words, Stay away from those people, who deviate with regards to the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And all these names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the ulama of aqeedah of Ahlul Sunnah, they have summarized them into a few names, a few attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which every Muslim needs to be aware of. The first is wujud, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's existence. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is mawjud. He is in existence without a beginning and without an end. Qidam means that he is ever living, he is always in existence. And he is baqi, al-baqa, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will be forever. The creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has got a beginning and they will exist forever with the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, either in Jannah or Jahannam. So their everlasting existence is dependent on the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is independently existent. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is sami' basir, al-mutakallim. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he sees, he hears. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, his speech, as is mentioned in the Quran, in various places. Mukhalafatuhu lil hawadith. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, one of his main qualities which we have to believe in, that he, he is different from his entire creation. The sahaba used to say, some of the tabi'een in fact, used to say, مَهْمَا تَصَوَّرْتَ بِبَالِكَ فَاللَّهُ بِخِلَافِ ذَلِكَ Whatever you try to conceive with your mind, know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not like that. If we cannot comprehend certain creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, like Jannah, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, that no eye has ever seen something as beautiful as Jannah. No ear has ever heard the, uh, the true description. What we are told are just words which make sense to us so that we can get some idea of what Jannah is. 
and it is not fathomable for a human being to even conceive and think what Jannah is. And Jannah is a creation of Allah. So if a person is unable to comprehend something which was created by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, where will it be possible for us to comprehend the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself? This is why we are told not to try to think about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself. What I am mentioning are attributes that Allah has mentioned in the text of the Quran or Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has mentioned which are necessary for us to believe that this is the mighty creator Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who is the possessor of all these sifat and attributes and qualities. So therefore when we speak about Allah, we need to speak with knowledge. We need to know what we're saying about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Sometimes a person in enthusiasm wants to say something about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala which is totally impermissible. And Rasulullah says in a hadith in Sahih Muslim, Sometimes a person utters one word, He regards it to be insignificant, trivial. And due to the utterance of that one word, that one statement, he is flung headlong into the fire of Jahannam. So when we speak about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we do not speak about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the way we speak about fellow human beings or the way we speak about the creation or even comparing Allah to a king or a ruler of, our, of, of, of humanity. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala laysa kamithlihi shay' There is nothing like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Lam yakullahu kufuan ahad. There is nothing the like unto Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Hal ta'lamu lahu samiyya. Do you know anything similar to Allah? Afaman yakhluqu kaman la yakhluq. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Can khaliq, the creator and the created, ever be the same? So it is important that we learn. This is part of the essentials of our deen. We've, we've got so much of time at hand that we know so many things which are not even essential in our deen. External things. They might be permissible or might not be permissible. The point is that we, even those of us who are a little senior in age, we've memorized and we know certain things of certain teams or certain groups. But the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala which we need to know, the sifat of Allah which we need to know, the names of the children of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the names of the family members of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, do we know them? So how strong are we in the essentials of our deen? And if we need to leave a legacy of deen behind, a legacy of the deen of Islam, if we need to lay the foundation at such a time when our children are exposed, we know what they're exposed to in the schools, they're exposed to in, in the company that they keep, through the media, through the devices that they have. What are they exposed to? And I'll give you one example. Rasulullah says a hadith, and we hear the hadith very often, that uh, a person... In the morning, he is in a state of iman, and by the time he goes to bed at night, he is, he's lost his iman. Or, when the sun sets and evening starts, he's in a state of iman. But when the morning, when the sun rises, he's in a state of kufr. Now, how is that possible? How can a person be a, a mu'min at night, and in the morning he doesn't have iman? And I'll give you one example. The sun sets his maghrib. Let's say, for example, now he is watching a movie. Okay? And in the movie there is, Allah forgive me for using these words in the house of Allah, but this is important, it's got to do with our iman, and this is what I'm trying to emphasize. In the movie, this person is acting as if he is God, for example. Okay? His job is, is he's doing a comedy, and he's, he's representing... God, even if he's using the word God, he's not saying Allah, but that's the commonly understood translation of the ilah that we worship. So he does something or he does an act of kufr and we laugh at that. 
So the ulama of the Muslim ummah with unanimity say that when something of disbelief is done in front of you and you laugh in approval, you're not, you're not uncomfortable, you're not awkward, you're not rejecting it, then that destroys your iman. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us. Ridabil kufri kufrun. To express happiness at anything which is disbelief results in a person also leaving the fold of Islam. And this is one of the reasons why we mentioned, you know, when the brothers come to, to embrace Islam, don't tell him, no, come on Friday. The brother wants to become Muslim. Somebody says, I want to embrace Islam. Let him recite the Shahada immediately. Don't tell him, come on Friday. Because the translation of that is, we are saying to him, that it's okay, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, in those three, stay in the condition of kufr, it's fine, and come on Friday. That's a type of expressing approval of him remaining in the state of kufr for three days. Rasulullah sallallahu when a man came to him on the battlefield and said that, should I embrace Islam first, or should I support the Sahaba and fight and defend you? He said, aslim, thumma qatil. First say the shahada, first become Muslim, and then you can, and then you can fight. So he said the shahada, and then he fought, and he was martyred. He became a shaheed without one salah, but he entered into Jannah. But you tell a man, no, 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 don't um, become Muslim now. But telling him don't become a Muslim itself is, is incorrect. Come on Friday, and that's a very serious thing. We don't even tell him go and have a bath and come. Because in that time, if something happens to him, he hasn't uttered shahadatain. The key to Jannah hasn't been uttered. Yes, Allah knows what is in his heart, but that is left unto Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We are obliged, we've got certain ahkam and rules with regards to how we deal with the aspects of sharia. So we encourage the person to say the shahada, ashadu an la ilaha illallah, wa ashadu anna muhammadur rasulullah. So this is of utmost importance that we do not express happiness at any type of, of disbelief. If something is wrong and a person in his heart feels, no, I don't agree with that, that's fine. I'm not saying that it's correct for him to be watching it in the first place, but I'm saying if it happens that he's exposed to that, at least he should be conscious that this is against my deen, this is against my iman, this is against, or it's something depicting a nabi in a wrong light, something, one of the anbiya alayhim salam any of the anbiya alayhim salam because they are ma'asum and they are protected by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So they are all our anbiya. We respect and we defend their, all their honor. So if, if somebody acts inappropriately in the name of a Nabi and you're laughing and you're acknowledging it, then that would be very, very detrimental to our iman. So respected brothers, our taraweeh salah and our uh, you know, charity and the good deeds we do, the tasbihat and tilawat, all that is on his place. But if our iman is not secure and protected, then that's worth nothing. Because if a person didn't perform one salah his entire life, he didn't fast any month of Ramadan, but he believes in Allah correctly, he knows that he's a sinner, I did wrong, oh Allah, what was haram, I was weak, I did those haram, but he dies with his iman intact, that person will go to Jannah one day. If Allah wants, Allah can allow him to go directly into Jannah. But a person who did salah, he gave his zakah, he went for hajj, he did umrah, he recited Quran also, but his iman is defective with regards to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why on the first page of Surah Baqarah Allah says, Hudallil muttaqeen alladheena yu'minuna bil ghayb. The muttaqeen are the ones who believe in Allah. In the unseen they believe in, in Allah without asking any questions. Without asking any questions. So our iman is, we need to protect it and revise and repeat these things. It shouldn't be that because we, we think, oh no, we did the, the, the basics of uh, imaniyat in the maktab, so I'm fine. Sometimes shaitan can use a small thing to destroy our iman. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us and keep us all firm on the deen of Islam 
and give us husnul khitam tawfiq to say the shahada when we leave this world wa akhiru da'wana alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin